Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Marina Debris, welcome to the Ocean Protect podcast. Thank you for having me. I've actually seen you a couple of times in various presentations at various litter and plastic-themed events. Whereabouts are you calling from first up? I'm calling from my studio in Coogee. Coogee in beautiful Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. We have an international audience, Marina, so it's a beautiful part of the world. And if I look at your LinkedIn profile, which as an engineer I always do, it describes your job description as an artivist. So what is an artivist? For me, it's a combination of artist and activist. Um, I say that because for me, the activism is just as important a part as being an artist. In fact, it, it may actually be more important um, for me because I only do the art really to try to raise awareness and get in front of people. And I do tend to do a lot of outreach and like very um, hands-on demonstrations, etc. That side of it's quite important. As Jeremy would attest to and as our listeners would attest to, we love to get a backstory. Before we get too caught up in your artivism and trashing, I'm keen to do figure out where it all began. In a former life, you were actually a graphic designer. So how does this all come about, this transition? I grew up in America and I went to Rhode Island School of Design and studied graphic design. I actually studied metalsmithing before that. But I got into graphic design because I actually thought, oh, it's something I could get a job in and be a worker bee, you know, nine fiver. <laughs> I wouldn't have to be hugely self-motivated. I mean, those were that was actually my rationale, which was crazy. Um, plus, my parents wanted me to be a brain surgeon, and <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> well, because we all, my brothers, I have two brothers, older brothers, and one's a writer and one's a researcher, so we're all in, you know, not big money-making professions. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, they passed. Well, they passed away. Unfortunately, yes, they passed away. But um, and they were extremely proud of me. So, but worried in the beginning, you know, that I had become when I went into after I left graphic design and sort of started becoming an artist. They were quite worried. 
about yeah. uh, just being able. And I was worried too. I'll be honest. I'm still worried to this day. It's a fair concern, isn't it? It's almost like the it gives your parent any parent a heart attack when their kid says, hey, yeah, I want to be an artist. It's just like, oh, God. Mate, Jeremy? I think, I think the two things to be an artist, mate. Trust me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, can, I, can I actually, on the topic of this, because I do a little bit of research, Jer- Jeremy rocks up stone cold to these podcast chats, which we love, uh, which gives it a wonderful dynamic. But I do know that you were actually, was it a lecturer at a university, and I'll get it right, the University of the Art Institution, is it, at, at Santa Monica, California. And the reason I bring that up is because I am a massive Doors fan, and I actually saw a Doors tribute band on Saturday night called Doors Alive, and they were absolutely out of this world, amazing. But how the Doors founded was at Santa Monica. So when Jim Morrison uh, met up with Ray Manzarek and they're both floating around and Ray Manzarek's like, oh, so what do you got? What have you been up to, Jim? You know, he was the ultimate poet artist. He's like, oh, I've actually been writing some rock and roll songs. And Ray Manzarek is a keyboardist in a band called, I think something like Ray and Manzarek or something like that. And long story short, Jim Morrison sung Moonlight Drive to Ray Manzarek. And that was the beginnings of the uber successful band, The Doors. In Santa Monica, which is obviously where you're sort of um, originally from as well. Yeah, no, I'm actually, I'm originally, I grew up outside in uh, Connecticut, believe it or not, um, which I was 45 minutes outside of New York City. And New York City was really my heart home for, you know, most of my adult life. I couldn't wait to move there. Um, And I did right after art school, I moved directly to New York City. I thought I'd live there till I died, pretty much. I loved the city. I still do. Uh, and then I moved to Los Angeles. I moved to Sydney first. I moved to Bondi from New York, and then I moved to Los Angeles, which is the first time I'd lived there. So I'm kind of all over the place. I guess I still consider New York my home, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, a lot happens. As you know, a lot happens in Los Angeles. It's, it's a place for many things coming to birth in mm. terms of music and arts and culture. It's, it's a really exciting city to live in. So, um, yeah, I will just add one thing because I know you're in, I, I'm not remotely musically inclined, <laughs> but um, when I went to RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, we had a very fairly well-known band <laughs> that went there called The Talking Heads, which is funny because I've run into people, you know, much younger than me, and a lot of them have no idea who that is. (laughs) You know, David Byrne, David Byrne, and they still have no idea, which is sad because they, you know, they were like our iconic band. We were absolutely, you, you couldn't go to that school without being a, huge fan and and I was and, and David Byrne was is actually such an interesting person. I don't know if you've ever heard him speak about art and just oh he's a, he's an amazing intellectual and you know very interest he's got such an interested mind, you know, he's interested in culture. He's very in fact his last tour was incredible. It, I, I, a lot of people 
went to see it that I know and said it was the best live concert they've ever seen in their entire lives. Um, and American Utopia, it's, it's come out as a documentary also. Yeah. I highly recommend it. It's just spectacular. So he's a, he's a great observer of life and, you know, his interest in art, the arts is phenomenal. So um, that was pretty much the only musical connection I have that pretty far one, but... Brad's got a very minimal amount of musical attributes himself. He'd like to uh, think that he's, you know, <laughs> got a he's got some dance moves, whatever, but... I'm a mover, not a music producer. Okay. I like, uh, yeah. But, but um, <laughs> Marina, just going back to it, so you're coming out of art school or design school. Now, how do you transition from being an artist to an activist? I don't think I ever transitioned. I think the two were always... The- pretty big part of my life. When I was uh, a graphic designer, I had an old camper van, a beat up old camper van. I thought, oh, I've seen all these mud flaps, you know, of the silhouette of the woman with the huge breasts. You've seen that, the flapper girl, mud flap girl. No, I I guess I have. It's a silhouette of a reclining woman, and she's got, you know, very quick. I'll just put that into Google and see what I get. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's see what you get. (laughs) Don't share the screen. I get the porn. You might get the warning. No, 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 no. But anyway, but I thought, at the time, I thought, oh, I'd love to put some mud flaps on my camper van, but. There's no way I'd put that on there because it's so incredibly sexist. Oh, I know the one you mean now. Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't say I've been yeah, not not front of mind, but uh, I have seen it uh, for sure. The reason I bring it up is because of the activism. So I actually thought, oh, well, there's no way in hell I'd put that on anywhere on my vehicle or body. <laughs> so, and I thought, oh, I'll just come up with a male version just to take the piss out of it, and I did. And I came up with this graphic, and I actually print, had it printed on Mudflap, and it went completely viral. Like, I had orders all over the place. I was so unprepared for it because I thought I was just steering it to have, literally, to have Mudflap on my, on my truck. Wow. It went ballistic, and I was just not ready. And then somebody came and tried to sue me because they had come up with a different sort of version, which was much tackier, and it was kind of more towards the, uh, I guess, the gay market. Mine was just very tongue-in-cheek. So this person tried to sue me, and I just thought, Oh, I just couldn't, you know, there's all these uh, laws in America, you know, America's so litigious. I talked to a lawyer, I actually got a lawyer, and they said, you know, worst case scenario, if you lose your house, which is pretty big, because the copyright laws are apparently very gray. In the end, I just thought, well, I'm more than this anyway. I can come up with something else, somewhere else, sometime. And I just let them have it. I just didn't fight it. I just didn't want to spend the money, but it was a really interesting lesson in a lot of ways. And that was part of my activism side, I suppose, in that it was a protest. And it was very funny, too, because I, uh, before that all happened, and after it went kind of viral, but um, 
they have these cars, you know, those custom car shows in Los Angeles, which are really fun. They have low riders and all sorts of, it's just very fun culture there. It's, it's pretty big in Los Angeles, that culture. So I had the mud flaps. I rented a booth at the car festival, you know, a lowbrow or custom car festival, custom with a K. And there's an artist named Robert Williams, who's extremely famous from um, the early days of lowbrow art. Uh, I don't know if you've seen his work. He's been accused of being extremely sexist in his work. It's like um, Borowski, you know, it's the very uh, same type of woman, and she's always kind of an ogre. <laughs> and it's, he's a really, you know, he's a brilliant artist. And I don't, it's all part of the, the genre of what he does. It's not so much, I don't find it sexist personally, but anyway, he, he was at one of these, uh, he was a local, out and about local too in Los Angeles. He came to this festival and I could see him walking towards my booth and he was just grinning ear to ear. And he walks up and he just looks at it, <laughs> my blouse and he looks at me and he says, Seth. So sexist. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, I'm done. <laughs> and he was smiling the whole time. You know, he was being facetious, I suppose, because he's always been called sexist. And I, I just thought, I asked him if I could quote him on that. And he said, absolutely. <laughs> but you've obviously gone from mud flaps to ocean plastic related issues in particular. So can you tell, for people who, are, who may not be familiar with your work, and you've actually just got an exhibition at the moment, I'm reliably informed, Sculptures by the Sea, which I believe has gone ballistic. So what is your more recent sort of artistic activities all about? Yeah, so I started that, uh, I was actually, I was living in Bondi, and the reason I was living in Australia, this is 30 years ago, was because of the beaches, and it was just a dream to me to live near beautiful beaches, and Australia had them still have them. So I was living in Bondi. And then when I moved back to America and to Venice Beach, which was uh, many years ago, I noticed right away how much rubbish was washing up on the beaches. And it was like I had uh, woken up from some sort of dream into some kind of nightmare. And I had never noticed waste before, ever. I was completely oblivious to it when I was in, in Sydney. Um, I did remember that Mambo had that the ocean out people against poop, people against ocean pollution or ocean out poor. So I remember the raw sewage issue, but that's it. I don't remember anything else. And then it just really struck me when I moved to Venice. And I just started collecting it because you do, as you do. Wasn't doing anything with it. I'd occasionally I'd take it back to, like, there were a lot of cups from 7-Eleven, polystyrene cups. And I would take them back to my local 7-Eleven and hand them in a you know, like the all stacked together, massive amount of them. I'd hand them to the manager and say, what are you going to do about this? And oh, right. he just looked at me like, I'm going to absolutely, what do you think? Nothing, of course, not my problem. I just started, I don't know, I wasn't really, I was frustrated, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I started joining a few local 
organizations like Heal the Bay was is a big one in Los Angeles. Yeah, there's loads, so many in Los Angeles. Around what year was this? I'm just interested to know when you know awareness really came into it. What year would have this been, Marina? I moved back there in 2000, I believe, but I didn't start making art out of it till 2009. Okay, so when when you're now really interested because what you're really doing is you're going up that chain of you know you're exploring where is this coming from and you're going back up to the guy at the 7-eleven going what's come from here and he's going well not has it we're talking about when this the social media revolution around marine debris or ocean plastic happened and i'm just interested to know where that sat within your journey you're so you're saying around 2009 you're you're making art from it by then is it on the internet by then uh you know is it you know are you seeing straws up turtles noses 2009 that's no you're not really you know it was before that no because it was only really up until mid so 2015 really i reckon it started to hit mainstream media so you're a good six years seven years before that and you're done it in your head and you're going i want to raise awareness and create art out of it i mean that's really before anyone's time really it's amazing like i said there were a lot of groups and organizations there and there still are of course like i got to meet captain charles moore you know you know who he is obviously um who discovered the great pacific garbage patch as it's known uh and then through him i well i actually met anna cummings first from and marcus erickson from bob gyres so they're doing a massive amount of research. They'd already been doing quite a bit at that stage. They've been around forever, and so has Heal the Bay. Heal the Bay's been there, I don't know how many years, you know, many, many. But nobody was talking about it. It was completely unsexy subject. It was not looked at whatsoever. So they had, you know, they were really at the start of it. The first time I got really involved was when uh, Anna was giving a talk for this, they're called T-Marine, which is a high school in Santa Monica, who, who does a lot of in ocean pollution. She was giving them a talk and she showed this picture by Chris Jordan, which is everybody's seen it by now, which is the picture of an albatross who had ingested plastic and its stomach contents were completely full of microplastic and larger bits actually. And the entire classroom guessed, this is big, you know, because that picture is going to reach people. I really thought that was going to be kind of the answer. The, his, that whole series called Albatross went completely viral. That was, I don't even know what year, that was probably around the same time. Um, and that's personally why I got involved, so involved, because just seeing the marine creatures that we are killing and harming is devastating, as you know. And um, not fair. It's not, it's, it's our problem we're creating it yet they're the ones that have to die with it really ultimately it is our problem as well because <laughs> we're not gonna do so well with it as we know yeah but it's it's about to point around the photo it's about communication and the plastic pollution problem in particular is very visual so whether it's seeing a picture with an albatross 
you know, with its belly full of, you know, plastic pieces and, and parts or a turtle getting a straw pulled out of its nose or one of your sculptures on the beach at Bondi or one of the, the, the fashion parades I've seen you sort of, um, choreograph with the people basically wearing plastic pollution as a fashion item. And I mean, like, I think you refer to it as trash and it's all just telling the story in the hope. Uh, that it will actually drive change. And what we are seeing is that it actually is working. So, you know, that one photo of the albatross has created significant change. All the various sort of things that you've been doing as well, they do make an impact. And I've referred to your, your fashion, your sculptures. I remember you doing a, uh, what do they call it, an un-inconvenience store or inconvenience store on Bondi Beach of all the things that people had you picked up in your day-to-day sort of runs along the beaches along Sydney. Uh, it's It's really just bring an issue to the faces and eyeballs ultimately of, of people to drive change. And I actually think it actually really works. I'm glad you do. Of course it does. Yeah. My second name, Debrie Downer. Debrie Downer, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so I'm going to bring you down. It does work. However, and this is something when I, I did do the inconvenience store, which uh, was a stop by the sea in 2017, and also it's been traveling around as well. But I came in the store or met the store quite a lot, and I got to listen to people's commentary. And, you know, especially it definitely got people talking, which was fabulous. Mm-hmm. However, the one thing, and I still find this struggle with this to this day, and it doesn't matter how many times I say it over and over again, most people think that the rubbish gets there by somebody either physically dumping it in the ocean, leaving it on the beach, or intentionally littering. None of, yes, all those are factors, as we know, but we are the biggest factor, all of us. You know, anything that you use can end up in the ocean. I really struggle trying to convey the message that we just have to stop using so much crap we don't need. We have to stop. It's, it's the only way. 100%. And, 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 you know, you're talking to two people that interview lots and lots of people um, in regards to this matter, and we get frustrated too because it's blatantly obvious and we talk about the waste management hierarchy and we fight that all the way along. And the most important one is obviously to stop using it all. If we stop using single-use plastic, then we eradicate that from the system. And it goes all the way down to the most inefficient way is picking it up from the beach and doing beach cleanups. And what Boy and Slant's doing out in the Great Pacific garbage patch by trying to clean it up it's very inefficient we're going to stop it getting out there but we have to remain optimistic because what you do what we do on this week podcast it's about touching all the different people along the way and yeah it is frustrating and debbie downer and i totally understand that but we've got to change a big system in order to do that. So when people feel it's it's so big I can't change, it becomes very overwhelming. And, and so I do agree with you. It comes down to individual choices. Brad's a very proud vegan. He um, hands, you know, puts his hand up and goes, well, what can I do for the planet? Well, you both are, so there you go, you made that commitment. But sometimes when it's too big of a problem, people become overwhelmed with it. So 
look at your art, it, it brings awareness um, through a, a, a far different medium to what Brad and I are used to. The podcast is a way of expressing ourselves, not really. It's about a, a way of getting other people to express themselves. So, yeah, don't want to get too down. I think you do a wonderful job. So even though uh, I may not be or sound optimistic, it doesn't mean I'm ever going to stop doing what I'm doing. To me, it's a choice of doing nothing, never an option. It's just never an option. I don't see how that can be an option for anybody, mm -hmm. honestly. It's not like I'm going to give up and stop. I'm not. You don't have to worry about that. That's good news. And it, and it is good news, the fact that we are seeing a progressive ban in single-use plastics across various states and territories in Australia. Is it perfect yet? No. But it is getting there. We are seeing like progressive ban on single-use bags and cutlery and, and bits and bobs or whatever. I'm actually keen to sort of get your insight into this, actually, Marina, because you've been picking up litter, it sounds like, 20, 20 30 years off uh, beaches in Sydney and, and obviously Venice Beach. What are you seeing and actually how has it changed over that period of time? No, you guys made me feel like I can't be Debbie Downer anymore. You could be whoever you like, Marina, Debbie, whoever. <laughs> I don't want to try to make it. <laughs> no, no, I like the way that we're here to throw out the facts. If it's getting worse, it's getting worse. Tell us. It's getting worse. There was a moment before COVID when I actually was optimistic, and I think it was after the War on Waste series came out, I thought that was brilliant. It really reached a lot of people. I think people were really motivated to do something, you know, on any scale, on a community scale, on a personal scale, schools, everybody was jumping on board. It was really fabulous. Yeah, it was just such a brilliant series. And then COVID hit. It feels to me like people have just, I don't know about giving up, but just kind of thought, oh, we've got much bigger issues now. You know, we've got to worry about pandemic. We've got to worry about our safety more than anything. And I just feel like people have gone 100 degrees towards convenience again, mainly starting with the whole coffee cup, single-use coffee cup issue, which is insane. You know, I walk around every morning when I go to the beach, 75% of people that are carrying, you know, are carrying single-use coffee cups. Well, what rock are you under? I don't know. And cafes are taking reusable cups now. I just don't, well, I don't well, understand. I totally agree with you. I put my hand up to Brad to say, oh, in COVID, I was in Sydney and uh, I was in, in Seaforth. And one thing I noticed was no one gave a shit about recycling when we were in COVID. When we were all locked down, because I, I, was, I was looking at people's rubbish, I'm going, it's, it's just rubbish. Everyone we're overloading from bins and no one cared because we're all locked down. And, oh, no, I need this to survive. And who cares about recycling now? The world's going to end. And I'm really with you. I, I do believe there's been a, a big shift of people actually caring. Oh, my God, the planet's stuffed anyway. There's a war in Russia. I, I've been working for 50 bloody weeks in a row. I need a holiday. I do think people's efforts or energy behind it has slowed 100%. I, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, it is a shame. You look at the coffee cup or the single-use traction that we had that's gone away now really because there's still COVID out there 
I'm sure you they're not they're not shutting down cafes as they were and, and the, the time that you have to isolate when you're at home with being the juice. But you're talking about cafes that have lost their livelihood and they just want to get back to the norm and and who cares about this or that. So I, I totally agree with you. And it, it is a real shame there was a lot of traction there. But it's interesting to say that that you physically were seeing that from a from a trash point of view. I would have thought and question. So you're saying over the 20 years, going back from Venice Beach to where we are now, you're saying we're seeing an increase in beach pollution from when you go down and do your cleanups. Yeah, I would say so for sure. I thought, which just sounds silly, but I thought straws were disappearing for a while too. And they, they did actually, like right before COVID, there was this strong momentum that I almost didn't find any straws. That's another thing that's been reappearing. Um, also, the single-use face masks, obviously. Mm. Even reusable face masks, I have to say. I find quite a bit of reusable face masks. So I completely forgot, was there a question? I, yes, it's getting <laughs> worse. Yes. And when I moved back to Australia, I actually didn't expect it to be a problem. And unfortunately, it is definitely a problem. I'm in the eastern suburbs beaches, and we have such beautiful beaches. We are so lucky here. I mean, so lucky. And it just, it breaks my heart, really. Yeah, which is, I guess, why I'm doing it, too. And so just to confirm, what are the key items that you're seeing in your day-to-day beach cleanups? It's pretty much the same thing. There's a lot of fishing gear, so obviously that's a massive problem on a huge scale. Still a lot of, you know, things like takeaway containers like plastic bottles, water bottles, a lot of aluminum cans, a lot. A lot of the insides of glass beer bottles, you know, the tops of the lids, inside the lids. So many of those. That's an everyday mini find. Lots of microplastic, major problem, which is everything breaking down. It's not one specific thing. It's all it's when all the plastic breaks down. Cigarette butts, of course. Your usual suspects I do find uh, what else? You know, bottle caps and clothes pegs and I mean you name it, it's just the it's the same suspect that I used to find in mm. LA with the addition of the face masks and coffee cups, which are obviously more now. Wow. I wasn't expecting you to say clothes pegs, but apart from the clothes pegs, it seems to be predominantly single-use plastic items or single-use items and fishing gear, yeah. The aluminum cans are very problematic because so, they're lightweight. Oh, polystyrene, of course. Heaps and heaps hmm. and heaps of polystyrene broken down. Yeah. Jeremy will remember we were at Bondi Beach doing a beach cleanup oh, probably three or four years ago now, Jeremy, and, and there was probably about three or four other beach cleanups going on at the same time, and we were like, oh, this is a waste of time. All the rubbish has been cleaned up. Do you remember, Jeremy, we went to one spot, and we just sort of scraped the surface of the sand. We were both staggered, and this is coming from two guys who deal with plastic pollution all the time. We were staggered, just the, the microplastics within the beach sand. It was Unbelievable, really shocking. Yeah. What we were doing is we were like, we're walking along like a couple of heroes that we are. <laughs> well, and, and you've got to slow down. And we actually went, you know what, let's just start with one square meter each. And we just started slowly slipping, sipping it through. And, you know, it was astonishing. It's also astonishing. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get over the fact that you, you've seen an increase in what you do on a day. What, what beach do you predominantly go down to? Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Could you beach just the north side too? I don't do the whole beach. So just do a very teeny, teeny section. And then Gordon's Bay, which is often quite bad, which is around the bend in Clavelli. It's a tiny, it's very small. But they both have drainage, uh, storm drains that are coming out. So are you seeing a a sort of a higher proportion of littered items downstream of these storm drains? Yes, I I ride my bike to the beach and there's, you know, every 10 metres or so, there's a piece of rubbish that's come out of a bin or birds pecked them out or rain, wind. Those are the the ways that, or when the rubbish bins empty the bin, that falls out, they don't pick that up. Those are some of the ways that anything can get out into the storm drain and down into the ocean. The other thing to mention is that this area has a lot of household waste. Like, it's not even waste. Household furniture and people just chuck stuff on the street all the time because they're done with it, whatever. It's not even that it doesn't work. You'd be kind of shocked. And that's another point of uh, problem in this area. I don't know if it's everywhere, but it's pretty awful around here. And just bringing the mood up a little bit from Debbie Downer, I remember you saying you there's a funny story with you involving Diana Chowen from Plastic Pollution Coalition. Apparently, this is sort of under the category of uh, some of the not-so-perfect activism that you might do. Can you can you share the story? Oh, it's a funny story. I, I don't think I've told anyone. Oh, here we go, the scoop. <laughs> yeah, it was in my early days of starting the, the art. Oh, it was probably 2010 or something. I was also working there's a Plastic Pollution Coalition in Los Angeles, which is another amazing organization. They're really at the forefront also, and it was founded by a woman named Deanna Cohen, who's also an artist, a rubbish artist, which I think is how she got her start. It's internationally known organization. They have a Everyone, you know, you can join from anywhere in the world. They're at the forefront of the issue. I was at a art exhibition that was a really poshy sort of event. It was my ex head was one of the installers at the show. So we got invited to the pre-launch, very prestigious sort of event. And I thought, oh, well, great, you know, I won't have to worry about bringing my own 
glass. <laughs> glass because I always love a glass of wine at any posh function or unposh function. I don't care. <laughs> I love my wine. I'm definitely a bit of a winer. I went to this thing empty-handed. I always bring reusables with me everywhere I go, pretty much. But on this instance, I thought I didn't need to. Mm-hmm. It, it was like a $400 ticket event, too. Wow. So it was really expensive. Got there, and the first thing I saw was the queue for the wine. And not only were they serving it in plastic cups, but they were charging for it. (laughs) Normally, I would just forego it because I didn't have my reusable cup. I'll always do that with coffee. Like, I almost never get coffee if I don't have my cup with me. I just won't do it. Anyway, I just thought, I broke down. I thought, oh, got to have my glass of wine. And I went and I got it, and I was sitting down. I took, I was taking my first sip, and I heard Marina Debris. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked up, and it was Deanna Cohen. And of all the people on the planet, she would have been the most embarrassing for one to be caught out by. And it was just like a moment I will never forget. And I was trying to get my way out of it. I was like, oh, no, no, I did that, I did that. Anyway, she thought it was really funny in the end. She didn't really, you know. But I knew she had she has one over on me in that sense. So it was very funny. She had a glass. Uh, it is an interesting story in the fact that, and this is something I've spoken to you offline about, Marina, about even environmental, you know, advocacy groups and and campaigners often do it wrong. I never forget I chaired a Stormwater Queensland conference in Noosa many years ago, and Tim Silverwood was the keynote speaker. And Tim Silverwood, for those who aren't familiar, t- from Take Three from the Sea, uh, formerly, and now with Ocean Impact Organisation, huge campaigner against plastic pollution. I rock up just before Tim's uh, about to come on stage and it's a 150 type person venue and each person had a single use plastic water bottle in front of them. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And I said to the conference catering service, I said, get these plastic bottles back in the cupboard. Can we please have some just glasses of water and some ice? And they're like, sure, no worries at all. It's a simple thing to get right, but it's amazing how many, even people who would be considering themselves environmental groups get it wrong, unfortunately. What are you going to install one of these? I mean, that happens quite often. When I'm invited to events, I still bring my reusable cup, but I always ask if there's going to be reusable, blah, blah, blah. I was just in an event recently and they had all the bio cups and bio things, etc. And all well and well, not really all well and good, as you and I know. Mm-hmm. It's greenwashing. But the worst part was there was no compost bin. Mm-hmm. So it all just went into the red bin. And I just like was scratching my head thinking, you know, obviously this is just, it's a greenwash ploy uh-huh. that really works. And that people think, a lot of people think that's the way to go. You know, not everyone's going to bring their own. Well, I think that one thing that's always interests me, and I can't remember who taught us this, but Brad will remember, but is to do with recycling. So if you don't wash out your containers and you contaminate your bin and for your house, and if you if you don't wash them out and you don't put them in the, in the right bins, then as soon as your bin goes into that truck, it contaminates that whole truck. 
and therefore that truck can't be recycled. So you, you go, well, you're only as good as your neighbour. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not as simple as what we're getting sold. Oh, great, let's recycle. Well, a lot of people go to it, and a lot. And I mean, I do, and I'm sure you guys all do when you, when you do have to recycle, but. It doesn't make you feel very good when you've got your neighbour who doesn't care and that's going to stuff it up for everyone. So there's a lot of people clipping the ticket, Marina, in regards to the environment. There's a lot of people out there making a lot of money from trying to clean up the environment and, and a lot of publicity, a lot of money's been spent. But is it actually making a difference? I don't know. I'll throw it out to you. You've been across to the US and, and, uh, and obviously here in Australia. Are you positive and are you upbeat about change. I mean, you know, we talked about Debbie Downer before, but, you know, are you upbeat that we're getting somewhere? And if you're not, tell us. Again. <laughs> well, you've got to, if you're not yourself, you've got to stay true to yourself. Brad, Brad has done a really good job bringing, <laughs> lifting it up. Tried. <laughs> and then you, you got it. Anyway, yeah, no, I'm not, not particularly helpful now. I am. Uh, which, because I, I know Brad, I actually, uh, when I saw you on the uh, Drowning in Plastic webinar, which, and that was, you know, the question they always ask. I don't know if you remember Captain uh, Moore's yeah, answer, yeah. but uh, I'm kind of, you know. But in all seriousness, uh, like, are you optimistic about the future of this issue around plastic pollution? Not really, no. Uh, I just think it's gotten too far. I just can't see how, you know, same as Captain Moore has been saying this forever that, you know, same with the great ocean cleanup, that there's no way to get what's in the, in the ocean, out of the ocean at this point, no way. And until we turn off the tap, it's just going to get worse. And what's still out there is, you know, it's a huge amount. It's, it's un, immeasurable, which is actually a point about the, when we were talking earlier about how it wasn't anywhere to be talked about back in the 2000s. And um, that was largely because there weren't really visuals. And there's still, well, there are visuals now, unfortunately. But when the Great Pacific Garbage Patch was discovered, that Marcus called, Erickson called it a soup a, uh, or a smog, a plastic smog, where it wasn't like you're walking on this physical, you know, island of rubbish. It was, you know, the ocean looks beautiful. Like from afar, you look at the ocean, you, it's this beautiful, vast, gorgeous, you know, um, blue. So you don't see it in its, in the form where it really is. You can't really see because the rubbish is all the way down the water column. A lot of it's on the ocean floor. It's in the air, it's it's in the water, but you can't physically see it all the time, and which is another reason I do the art, because to put a visual face on it, and the piece I, I just did for Sculpture by the Sea, which is getting quite a bit of attention, which is kind of shocking to me, I call it just a drop in the ocean fed 7.8 billion people. So it's exactly referring to... Well, it's referring to individual responsibilities, but in a good way and in, in a bad way that, you know, any one of us can make a change for the better or for the worse. When you, you know, you multiply that one, like if I, I talk to somebody about why they didn't bring a reusable cup, for instance, they'll say, oh, I'm just one person, blah, da, 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 da. Well, just one person said 7.8 
billion people. Obviously, it's not going to be 7.8 billion people, but because we've got babies and elderly. We live in a country with amazing, uh, you know, we have waste management here. So we're extremely fortunate. And yet, you know, we have access to clean water, all these things that a lot of countries don't even have. Yet, we don't really realize how lucky we are and how that doesn't mean we should utilize wasteful items. Yeah, certainly no doubt that we need to turn the tap off at the source. And I take my hat off to the cleanup efforts around the planet, but certainly, like to your point, Marina or Debbie, we do need to turn the tap off. And that means progressively banning single-use plastics and obviously looking at as effective as yours and others' uh, educational uh, and awareness campaigns are. We clearly need to focus more of the attention on the plastic producers, the petrochemical industries that are obviously making an enormous amount of money from making these uh, devices and incurring no costs associated with the damage that they're obviously inflicting on the planet and ultimately us. Five dryers in the in Los Angeles, again, have been working on producer responsibility. So they're trying to, you know, make the manufacturers be responsible. Whatever they sell, they have to figure out a way to get it back and close the loop. And yeah, that's absolutely a big part of the that, that's, yeah. that's a whole other podcast here because that is a big issue whose responsibility is it if, as a consumer if i go and buy something and if i recycle that correctly you know is that my fault when i've been told it's 100 percent recyclable yeah sure the big players petrochemical 100 percent need to you know certainly do their part and you know start doing a hell of a lot more than what they're doing but equally the individual person needs to do it it all comes back to the individual person. I'm Debbie, a little bit more hopeful than you. Geordie and I forget their names, uh, an Aussie couple, last name's Kay, I think. They've come out with a, a solution to glad wrap, you know, like the single-use plastic wrap, and they've just called it good wrap, and it's made out of potato starch. And so it comes out in a, you know, in a, in a whole bit, looks like plastic, you wrap your food in it, lasts for 90 days, and it's made out of potato starch. Great, you know, awesome innovation. These guys have probably got heaps of funding. Take that thing global, we've got rid of one item. So through, you know, I am optimistic, and through, you know, humans are funny things. When you back them up into corners and try and drown them, they'll, they'll fight back, and Mother Nature's the one that's going to come and, you know, show us what it's going to be like to have no planet. As you can see, Mother Nature's just warming, warming up around the world and it's going to be uh, a big surprise. Look at northern New South Wales and, and Victoria at the moment. We're flooding for the third year in a row up there. We're only on fire three years ago. And I think mainstream, the population, are starting to, you know, draw up the dots like you did back in the day. Uh, on the beach when you went back up to the supermarket to go, hey, you're going to take responsibility for this. You you were drawing up the dots well before anyone else. And I think with social media, with the, the youth of today, there's enough pressure that we are starting to see change. It's not fast enough, I know, but I'm optimistic. What about you, Brett? Marina heard me uh, get on my soapbox at the webinar, and, and I, I used the uh, comparison of Siddhartha Gautama, the, the person who was known as Buddha, 2,500 years ago. He said the 
and I'll, I'll try to remember the line. He says, the brightness of mind might be the ultimate goal of meditation, but it is also the first step. Without a bright mind, you cannot proceed. You cannot move forward. And obviously, we need the brightest of minds to maintain optimism, to be stubbornly optimistic, uh, to fight for ultimately better oceans and ultimately the protection of the human species. It's not, not, not even an issue around, it still is an issue around the ecosystem, but certainly we need to realize that humans are a, a key part of that ecosystem. And what's bad for the planet is going to be diabolical bad for us. You know, the fact that they're finding microplastics in the brains of humans, the placentas of unborn babies, in our lungs, uh, at significant quantities, and without any real detailed understanding as to the implications of that from a human health perspective, that's a real concern. But we do need to essentially solve this issue ASAP. You have to be stubbornly optimistic. It takes all sorts of individuals. It's an everyone everywhere mission. It's not just up to the engineers or the scientists or the politicians or the activists. It's up for everyone. We all need to act effectively and urgently without a shadow of a doubt. Can I just change tack for a bit? Because obviously we need to land this plane at some point, but we haven't even spoken about, I know a big part of your uh, spare time, Marina, is dedicated towards animal activism. Now, and I am reliably informed you're very active with the Animal Justice Party, uh, a couple of groups called Save Poppy, etc. Where does this all come from? Why are you so passionate about this cause? Well, where? <laughs> Talk about downer. Don't downer. <laughs> I suppose it's been a really, really slow, slow journey for me. So just for anyone out there who's thinking of transitioning to a vegan, ethical vegan lifestyle, highly encourage it, of course. Yeah, it was not overnight for me. I think it really, for me, it started in 2000. I rescued a dog or a dog rescued me. Bonza was her name. <laughs> An Australian name. I'm very, very glad I was smart enough to rescue instead of buying a dog. I was so in love with her. I mean, I have never experienced such a deep, profound connection with anyone or anything. And it was pretty much from day one, I started thinking, well, wait a minute, I'm so connected to this being and yet I'm feeding her other beings and I'm feeding I was feeding myself other beings. Well what's the difference? I and that just started me thinking about it and I just thought I was getting a bit more ethical, but I really wasn't. I was just making different choices. I was trying to get grass fed, blah blah. I was pre ranged, yet et cetera, et cetera. And I thought I was doing okay, but I learned. The more I learned, the more I realized that there is absolutely no ethical way to exploit, eat, or wear, or experiment, or watch an animal perform. There's no ethical way to do it. It just does not exist. And there's more and more information getting out about it now. And Back then, there was very little stone anywhere. Like you, you'd have to really search to find something. And then, um, long story short, it took me quite a long time. I, when I moved to Australia, back to Australia, I should say, seven years ago, was when I really started getting very involved. When I found out there was a party called the Animal Justice Party, I was absolutely gobsmacked and I started getting involved with them and it's just been amazing that there's so much happening here. This is where the activism comes in as well. There's 
few Sydney activist groups that do cubes and protests and outreach and all sorts of things. And it's just been amazing. Just the whole climate issue, there is no way we're going to get out of this mess if we don't stop our system of animal agriculture. That's just a point. You know, that's just a fact. Even if we get rid of all fossil fuels and single-use plastics, we're still going to be in chaos um, because animal agriculture is the leading cause of species extinction for sure, you know, biodiversity, land clearing, methane, other gas releases, oceanic dead zones, pandemics. Hello? Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. There's no reason to con- continue on. We can't. We just can't. And that's even aside from just what we are doing to animals on a regular basis, all of us, in a completely zombie fashion, you know, we are committing incredible amount of violence on innocent beings. Incredible. I mean, it's just obscene how much pain and suffering we are causing other animals or other species, fish as well, every species. So I just can't, with any clear conscience, of course, be any part of that system. And I fail to understand how any climate groups that are supposedly fighting against climate change cannot acknowledge that that is a major factor and something we have to stop doing. So on that Huge, huge no, no, no. Uh, no, look, it's, it's it's nice to have someone else on the soapbox besides me because, look, I'm eight years vegan. You don't have to convince me. Yeah, leading cause of biodiversity loss, deforestation, ocean dead zones, one of the leading causes of climate change. And obviously, it's just 80 billion animals every year being killed in addition to the marine species. And it's got to be the most simple uh, and easy thing you can possibly do. And if we don't, we're all screwed. So my learned colleague, Jeremy Brown over here, has been in, involved in many of my discussions. And, and to his credit, he assures me he has really reduced his animal product consumption, which is a wonderful thing to hear. And actually, total credit to New Zealand, uh, has to be said. You guys have committed to banning uh, live export uh, by 2023, which is a wonderful thing. But certainly the the government action in this space is embarrassing. I I saw just yesterday the federal government uh, has pledged uh, to do something to do something about methane reductions, dragging their feet to the uh, global activity. As a footnote, they've said, oh, yeah, but we're not going to include anything associated with agriculture. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Animal agriculture is a massive cause of methane emissions, and you're leaving it out of your toolkit. It's just embarrassing. It's in the same sort of, I guess, breath as plastic production. Why do we still produce plastic? Why are we still sending 80 billion animals a year to slaughter? Primarily, it's because people are making money out of it. And when I say it's people, it's it's a very small proportion of the population that are making a lot of money while the rest of us have to suffer the consequences of those actions. So from my perspective, it's complete inequality. It's completely unjust. There's been so many social causes over the year, whether you look at the slave trade, women not having the, the rights of gay and lesbian individuals. You know, these are all unjust things, but certainly the biggest uh, injustice of our time is the animal agriculture industry, without a shadow of a doubt. And anyone who walks into a, what, what's the line? If, if you want to hear a joke, a non-vegan walks into a climate protest. Yeah, that's a joke. So again, I'll step off my soapbox. How about that for the time being? Marina. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's been a wonderful chat, Marina. We should let you go, but thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And thank you so much for your efforts over the many years in terms of actually bringing more awareness and subsequent action around this issue. Whilst it may be despondent, and I totally get where you're coming from with being a bit of a Debbie Downer at times, which is cool. We all have those moments. On behalf of the marine life on the planet, I still certainly thank you for all your efforts. So keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on the show, Marina. Have a happy day. Boom, boom. Shake the room. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.